0: Control-Alt-Delete. It's a computer formula that is designed to fix and restore. When things go haywire and there's the feeling of being out of control as you look at your screen, I have that experience often. Computers and I do not get on very well. They are a great source of stress and angst for me. I push buttons and they don't respond. I even speak to it and it still doesn't respond. I speak to it in the name of Jesus and it still doesn't respond. And then I thought this kind cometh out not by just saying it, but by prayer and fasting. So I went on a 40 day fast to deal with the computer, but it still didn't resolve the issue. But then someone said to me, control, alt, delete. It's all you have to do, is push those little keys. And I was absolutely amazed at the response, the transformation. A little hand came out of the side of the screen and made me a cappuccino. It was unbelievable. This thing did everything I asked it to do. All I had to do was hit control, alt, delete. When Jesus and his resurrection power is received into our life, it's like hitting a heavenly keyboard. It's like hitting heavenly control, alt, delete buttons. And when we do that, the same thing happens in the spiritual dimension. There's a riveting, life-changing transformation that emanates out of heaven into every fiber of your being. Jesus said, behold, I stand at the door and I knock. If anyone hears my voice and responds and opens the door, I will come in and you'd be amazed at what he will do when he's allowed entry. When Jesus and his resurrection power is received into our life and we hit control, alt, delete, it's when we give God control again. It's when we give him sovereignty again in our life, in our circumstances, in our situations, in our storms, in our challenges, in our insurmountable mountains that so often stand before us. We, we hit Control, alt, delete. He comes in and he takes control. And when he's given control, he's then allowed to make alterations in our life. And as a result of that, he then has the capacity to delete things from our past that don't belong in our future. I believe the resurrection is one of the greatest, if not the greatest, declarations of the sovereignty of God ever. It's a powerful statement in the spiritual dimension that even when all hope appears to be lost, even when all seemed dark and cold and hopeless, he was still in absolute control. I said on Good Friday morning as we came around the communion table that he was not a victim, resigned to death on that cross. He was a a glorious victor. In the very purpose and center of God's will, for this cause I came. There wasn't a moment, even when he was betrayed in the Garden of Gethsemane, even when he was arrested and taken away, he was in absolute control. In fact, Jesus said on one of those occasions, he said, Don't you realize I could call 12 legions of angels right now and get me out of this? But it wouldn't be the purpose of God. It wouldn't be the plan of God. For this cause I was born. For this moment I came into this world. He was in absolute control the entire time. In Luke chapter 4, Jesus stands in the temple at the beginning of his ministry. He opens the scroll to the page of Isaiah chapter 61 and he begins to read, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me. Because he has anointed me to bring good news to the poor, to open blind eyes, to break the chains of those that are oppressed and in bondage, and to declare and proclaim the favorable year of God. The heavens are open, and the favorable year of God has come. He then declared in that same little synagogue in Galilee, he said, today this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. He declared openly that he was the fulfillment of biblical prophecy, and it so angered the religious leaders in that vicinity that they immediately rose up furious and mobbed him. And the Bible tells us in Luke chapter 4 and verse 28 that when they heard his declaration, the people were furious. They jumped up, they mobbed him, they forced him to the edge of the hill on which the town was built. They intended to push him over the cliff. It's an intense scene. It's a it's a stress-filled scene. There's a mob. The Bible uses the word mob. They mobbed him. They swamped him. They They surrounded him. They pushed him. He was a lone individual as these people pushed him towards the edge of a cliff. And then it tells us they intended to push him over the edge of the cliff. But I want to tell you something. When you read this passage in its fullness, you realize he's still in absolute control. There wasn't a moment in his ministry journey where he had lost control or where he had lost the reins of what he was called to do. He heard his father's voice. He followed his father's voice. He did only what his father told him to do and he stayed in absolute control. They intended to push him over the cliff. But verse 30 says, he passed right through the crowd and went on his way. I find that fascinating. They're mobbing him. They've got absolute control over him. You you know, the disciples would have thought he's, he's gone. They're going to kill him. There's, there's no hope. All hope is lost. It's, it's over. It's finished before we even get started. But suddenly he just walks through the crowd and went on his way. It was like this supernatural force from heaven came upon him and surrounded him as he just kept his eyes straight forward on the call and the purpose that God had for his life. He was in absolute control every moment of every day of his ministry journey. I look back over... My life and Margot's life, as I consider our journey, as we followed the call of God upon our own life, and we've pursued what we believe God has called us to do, I, I, uh, I I've been absolutely amazed at the interventions of God. I've, I've been saved 38 years this year. February just gone, last month, 38 years since I give my life to Jesus. And in that time, I haven't always been involved in church leadership or full-time ministry. But over that 38-year year period, I, I could rattle off one thing after another where, where all seemed hopeless and lost and dark, but God came. But God entered the equation, but God got involved because we opened up and said, God, we need you. God, what should we do? God, where should we go? God, what's your your plan in this situation? What do you want us to learn from this circumstance? God, this is not a nice situation. It's a painful situation. But you know what the enemy intends for evil. God, you always intend for our good as we follow you and as we love you and as we pursue you and we follow the call of God upon our life. All things work together for good. As we have journeyed with that heart fixed on him and trusting him, we have seen the intervention of God. We've seen the forewarnings of god we've seen the provision of god we've seen the faithfulness of god there wasn't a moment in our in our ministry journey where we could say god wasn't in control there were times i felt like i wasn't in control but in those moments of weakness and doubt god always comes true. we've seen the hand of god provide so much psalm 27 verse 1 david said the lord is my light and my salvation the Lord is my light. He's the light to my path. He's the light in the midst of the darkness. He's the one that illuminates. He's the one that reveals. He's the one that goes before and guides and directs. And, and when I can't see, he can see. And all i got to do is hold his hand and hang on and keep following with a, a heart that is just hanging on and not, not wanting to doubt, not wanting to let go, but just saying, God, wherever you lead, I'll go. Wherever you take me, I'll go. The Lord is my light and my salvation. So why should I be afraid? Why should I fear when God is with me? The Lord is my fortress, protecting me from danger. So why should I tremble? When we give God control, when we place our lives in the hands of the very one who raised Jesus from the dead, we place ourselves in the safest and the most fruitful place we could potentially be. You know, like many of the Psalms, King David wrote this Psalm out of a season of trouble. Many of the Psalms were written as a result of a storm or a, an attack or a loss or a grief or a challenge or a pain or, or something that David faced. It was a season of trouble. Yet, yet this Psalm carries a song of confidence and a song of, of hope, a song of triumph because ultimately David was not in darkness. Even though there was no light, ultimately he was not in darkness even though he was being attacked from every side, ultimately he was not in a place of peril because the Lord was his light and his salvation. And whatever you're following Jesus, who sees everything, who knows everything, you can't go wrong. Whatever you're holding on to him, whatever you're pursuing him, it doesn't matter that you can't see what's around the corner. When he's involved, he's always in control. He's in control of every situation, every circumstance. God himself brought light to David's life. Regardless of what he was facing, God himself was his light and his salvation. So he did not despair in the darkness and all that it represented. His life was filled with the Lord. And it was filled with the light of the Lord. You know, David's ability to give God control of his life... And of the situations he found himself in. David's secret, when he didn't have clarity from God, he was able to trust the sovereignty of God. David's secret was he constantly had a habit of inquiring of the Lord. 2 Samuel chapter 5, I love it, David's been coronated as king. And there's celebrations right across Israel and Judah and and people are rising knowing that, that God is, is on their side. God is with them. God is declaring favor and fruitfulness over their future. It was a season of celebration and jubilation. And David ascends the throne. And the first thing David does is he goes and recaptures the Ark of the Covenant from the Philistines that had stolen it 20 years prior because he knew that the Ark carried the presence of God. And he knew without the presence of God they were never going to be fruitful. So the first thing he does, he goes and gets the Ark. But then the Philistines hear that David has ascended the throne. We read an interesting thing in 2 Samuel chapter 5. It says the Philistines marched all their forces, all their might. They marched to the valley of Ephraim and they spread themselves out as a, as a show of force to David and his warriors. And they said, we're here to take you down before you even get started as the king. And the Bible tells us that David in that moment inquired of the Lord. David, who knew that if God was in the situation, everything would be under control. David, who knew that God was always in control, he inquired of the Lord. It's the best thing we can ever do when we face a challenge, when we face a situation where we don't have an answer to the problem that's presenting itself. We should stop and inquire of the Lord. And the Lord said to him, David, go and fight them. I'm going to give them into your hands. He said, Lord, what should we do? Do we go straight up? Do we go head on? What do we do? He said, get your warriors and just go straight out the front gate and take them head on. I'm telling you, I'm going to give them to you right now. In, in, in your presence, you will see warriors fall across the Philistine ranks. And David did exactly, exactly as the Lord told him to do. And God had absolute control. I mean, God's in control. You can't go wrong. So David goes straight out the front gate, confronts the Philistines and kills a lot of them. The very next verse, 2 Samuel chapter 5, the Philistines once again gathered their warriors and they marched up again to the same valley, the valley of Ephraim, again. And again, they spread themselves out as a show of force. You got us last time, you're not going to get us this time. But it was exactly the same. They presented exactly the same. My temptation as a leader in there would be to rest upon my past success. And so we can do this, guys. We did it last week. Let's do it again. Right out the front gate. Let's do it. But no, David was wise enough to know. We need to know God's in control here. We need to know what God's saying, what God's doing, when God's saying it, when God's doing it. We need his hand in this situation. So David, once again, pulls aside and inquires of the Lord. And an interesting thing happens. The Lord said, you will not go out the front gate this time. This time you'll actually go around the back way. And I want you to hide on the other side of the hill. He said, when you hear the sound of marching in the tops of the poplar trees, if you read the Old King James, it says the sound of a going in the tops of the mulberry trees, be like the angelic hosts of God. He said, when you hear that sound, I want you to come up over the top and ambush them, and I'll give them into your hand. I, I, I find that interesting. I think, God, why did you tell them to just go head on last time? I mean, you went with them. You, you can do anything at any time, you're not restricted by anything. Why, why did you do that and then next time tell them to go around the back? Was, were you not capable of taking them head on this time? God, It's like God's going, oh no, I'm capable of doing whatever I like. What I believe was happening, David was being taught by God how to keep God always in control. Because when God is always in control and we do what God says when God says it, we will always succeed. We will always be fruitful. We need to be people who are here and obey. We need to be people who listen. We need the resurrection power of Jesus flowing into our everyday life. Not saying, well, I did it like this last time. It'll work this time. The Lord might say, I want you to do it differently because I just want you to learn to do what I tell you to do. Because when you do what I tell you to do, you will always win. You will always be fruitful. You will always have an impact upon this broken and hurting world. I was reading yesterday as I was laying on my bed, uh, Luke chapter one, and it's the Christmas story of the angel Gabriel coming to Mary saying, hail favored one and mary just really spun out by this angelic visitation He says you found favor with god and mary's thrown by it and the angel says don't be afraid mary i've just come to give you a message he said you're going to be you're going to be found with child you are going to conceive and you're going to bring forth a son and you're going to call him jesus and and he will the government of god will be upon his shoulders and he will he will save the people from their sin and he will you know it's like this big declaration and mary says how can this be I'm not married. I'm not, I'm a virgin. I don't, I don't know a man. How can this be? And the angel said that the Holy Spirit will come upon you and that which is conceived in your womb will be conceived by, by God Himself and He will be called the Son of God because it'll be a divine conception. Mary comes back with this really interesting statement Be it done to me according to your word. Be it done to me according to your word. God, I give you absolute control. God, I surrender to you. God, I want you involved in my entire journey. And as a result, she ushered the Savior of the entire world into the planet. If we would just give God control, control, give Him control, <laughs> let Him surrender, let Him come and take over the reins, let Him come and take over the situation, let Him come and take over the hopelessness, let Him come and take over the depression, let Him come in like a flood and set up a standard against the works of darkness. But you have to open up and give Him control. Then when you hit control, hit hit Alt, hit Alt. When we allow him access to our inner world. He makes alterations that drastically affect and empower us in our outer world. You know, Jesus is the master at internal restoration. He's the master at taking that which is broken and breathing life into it. Ezekiel's valley of dry bones. He He stands there with Ezekiel and says, Ezekiel, can these bones live? And Ezekiel just said, only you know that. Take control. And when Ezekiel gave God control, alterations in that valley took place. It must have been a freaky scene a valley full of dry bones. There must have been a battle there years before and the corpses left to rot and their dry bones, they're brittle, the flesh is gone, the vultures have fed on them years before and it's just this valley full of bones lying there and, and God says, can they live? It must have been a freaky situation. It says there was a rattling, a rattling and a shaking and a clashing and a clanging And God made one of the greatest alterations in human history as he raised that army out of the ashes. How did he do it? He's given control. He's given control. You know, I I believe the Apostle Paul is a huge trophy of God's workmanship. When a a life is surrendered and, and God is given control, I believe the Apostle Paul is a trophy of God's ability to totally transform and totally renovate and totally renew and totally recreate because we are new creations in Christ. All all things are gone. All things become brand new. It's not just a cover-up. It's a complete and absolute transformation. You know, Stephen, the disciple, is being stoned to death in Acts chapter 7. Who's seen the movie on the big screen? Paul, the apostle of Christ. Margot and I are the only ones that have seen it. Absolutely brilliant film. I was a bit wary about going because Christian films to me can be a bit, you know, Christian. <laughs> this is a brilliant, brilliant picture of Paul and it's all about Paul in a Roman prison. And Luke, the physician, is visiting him. And it's about Nero and the the fire in Rome and the persecution of the Christians. And it's just so inspiring. But Paul is there prepared to lay down his life for the cause of Christ. But yet back in Acts chapter 7, Stephen's being stoned. And we read in Acts chapter 8 verse 1, Now Saul, who became Paul, was consenting to his death. At that time, a great persecution arose against the church, which was at Jerusalem, and they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. As for Saul, who became Paul, it's the same guy. He made havoc of the church. Havoc of the church. He, he brought so much pain and so much grief and so much suffering to the disciples of Jesus who were just trying to get come to grips with the fact Jesus was no longer with them and they're trying to get a revelation of the fact that he is with them but he's not with them and they're trying to think, I wish he was here in the flesh but now we've got to understand he's here in the spirit. They're struggling with that and this big persecution rises and Saul who became Paul is at the head of it pushing and he entered every house and dragged off men and women and locked them in jail and persecuted them and tortured them them and did all sorts of horrible things. But then in Acts chapter 9, he has an encounter with God. On the Damascus road, Jesus himself appears and, and says to him, Saul, it's me that you're persecuting. He has such a dramatic, transforming encounter with Jesus on the road to Damascus that something alters in his life. You know, we don't do a lot of altar calls in our church. And I... I used to, years ago, in ministry, I used to, every time you'd preach, you'd do an altar call. But let me tell you something. I've come to a place where I've watched over years, not a lot of fruit comes out of an altar call. Because unless the altar call alters your call, it's a waste of time. We need a transformation from heaven. We need an encounter with Jesus. And I'm not against altar calls. Altar calls, you can have an encounter. But I think sometimes we just do a lot of hard work here for very little return. For the kingdom of God. Paul, he has this encounter with God, and something alters in his heart, something changes in his life. And then he he he's led to the house of Ananias afterward in, in chapter nine, verse 19. Paul ate some food, regained his strength, Saul stayed with the believers in Damascus for a few days and immediately he began preaching about Jesus in the synagogues saying he is indeed the son of God. Why? Because he'd had an encounter and God had altered something in his life. We, we can say a sinner's prayer and we can ask God to take control but unless we actually give him access to bring about an alteration in our life, not much is going to happen. He starts to preach that Jesus is the Son of God. In verse 21, all who heard him were amazed. Isn't this the same man who caused such devastation among Jesus' followers in Jerusalem? Didn't he come here to arrest them and take them in chains to the leading priests? Something altered in his life. We've got to give God control of our situation, but we have to also give him control of our hearts so that he can change what's in us, to enable us to succeed in what's around us. I don't want to take too much time on this, but I just felt the Holy Spirit remind me of this. When I was a boilermaker, I built a submarine. And that submarine was designed to go to certain depths in the ocean. And it was designed to to really get divers with the bends. It was only a mini submarine, but it could only go so far down. It was designed to withstand so much pressure on the outside. And if we, if we look at our life like that submarine, you know, while it stayed at a certain depth, you know, and the pressure on the inside was greater than the pressure on the outside, it would be okay. But the moment it went beyond its capacity, and the pressure on the outside became greater than the pressure on the inside, it would crush that thing like an eggshell. You know, we, we need the Holy Spirit to come inside and enlarge our capacity to make the alteration so our capacity on the inside can cope with the challenges that are on the outside. Paul says in Galatians chapter 1 and verse 13, you have heard of my former conduct in Judaism, how I persecuted the church of God beyond measure and tried to destroy it. And then in verse 22, he said, I was unknown by face to the churches of Judea, which are in Christ, but they were hearing only. He who formerly persecuted us now preaches the faith which he once tried to destroy. That takes an inner alteration. But that's what God wants to do. He wants to be given control, but then he wants to be allowed access so he can make some alt-orations in our life if we would just allow him in i was thinking this morning again about the demoniac in luke 8 he would he would live in the cemetery he was racked with with stress and anxiety and fear and pain his mind was out of control he would scream he would self harm the bible tells us he would cut himself with stones and he would he would you know run around naked it specifically says he was naked And he lived like that. And they would chain him up because he became so strong with the demonic oppression upon his life that he would break certain strengths in chains. So they would chain him up and tie him down, but he would break free again. But Jesus comes into the situation. And Jesus, when he has an encounter with the Son of God, we read these amazing words. When Jesus had finished with him, he was found fully clothed and in his right mind. That's what happens when we give God control and we allow him to make alterations in our life. Things begin to change. The change that takes place is revolutionary. It's a revolutionary upheaval of what I used to be to become a new creation in Christ. Control, alt, delete. Give him control. Control. Allow him to make alterations. But then let him delete things from your past that don't belong in your future. I loved Good Friday. I loved what the kids did up here with their paintings that they end up building this. If you went here on Friday, this was all done on Friday on the stage and built by the kids and did a fantastic job. But then... Then four of our young kids came up and each on a microphone across here. We're talking about the power of the cross and how the disciples would have felt like, well, it's time to say goodbye. Jesus is about to die, but it's not that kind of goodbye. And they began to declare. It was so moving. up there. I was going to say the hairs went up in the back of my neck, but I haven't got any to go up on the back of my neck. So I felt all tingly all over as they said, if you do need to say goodbye, then say it like this. Say goodbye to guilt. Let him delete guilt out of your life. Say goodbye to shame. Let him delete shame out of your life. Say goodbye to fear and anxiety. Say goodbye to depression and worry. Say goodbye to rejection and condemnation. Because Paul says in Romans 8 verse 1, There is therefore now no condemnation to those that are in Christ Jesus, who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. Listen to this. The law of the Spirit of life in Christ has made me free from the law of sin and of death. When I gave my life to Jesus, he started the process. The more control I gave him, the more access to my inner world I gave him, the more I prayed David's prayer, search me, oh God, know me, try me, see if there was any wrong or wicked or broken or, or, or corrupt way in me and lead me in the earth. The more I gave him access to make the alteration, the more he began to delete things out of my past that were not meant to be a part of my future. But The problem we have today, particularly with Christians, Is that the devil hacks into your computer. And he brings spiritual viruses. That start to attack the computer of your mind. And he begins to reinstall many of the things that Jesus in his power deleted and removed. The Galatians were like that. They they were so... So full of God's spirit, so free of the law, so free of the oppression of the Jews that tried to impose on them Jewish laws in order to be a Christian. And, and you know, they got so free and then and these Jewish false teachers came in and began to propagate. They had to do this and you're, even though you're saved by grace, you still have to do that and you still have to do this. And Paul says, you foolish Galatians, he said, who has bewitched you? He said, what you began in the spirit, the joy, the freedom, the life. You now think you're going to end it in the flesh. You know, when I first got saved, I loved Jesus so much. He could have done anything with me. I just had so much faith and so much expectancy. I just believed and I just trusted. But then I went to Bible college. They messed it all up. We've got to come back to that simple place of, God, I I just want you to delete this stuff out of my life. I only want you to fill me with the stuff that's meant to be a part of my calling, a part of my future. I want you to fill me with faith. I want you to fill me with life. I want you to fill me with health. I want you to fill me, Lord, with a, a mindset that just just looks at Jesus and says, wherever you take me, I'll go. Take absolute control. Come into my heart. Make the alterations that need to be made. And I ask you that you, you would delete the stuff out of me that does not bring glory to your name. Delete the stuff out of my soul that holds me back. Delete the stuff out of my soul that that brings me down, that, that distracts me, that hinders me, that sabotages and white ants the purpose of God upon my life. I think so many of us, I think all of us could fly so much higher than what we actually do, but we allow the devil to hack back in and plant those viruses. Hit control, alt, delete. Surrender to the power of the resurrected Christ. Why don't you close your eyes just for a moment. You thought that was part of the act, didn't you? You thought I was about to do something really spectacular then. I thought maybe I'm supposed to and they forgot to tell me wow timely why don't you close your eyes just for a moment maybe you've come into the meeting this morning and you don't know what it is to actually give Jesus control you don't know what it is to have an encounter with him like Paul did on the road to Damascus where his hatred was replaced by love, where his bitterness was replaced by the sweetness of heaven, where his life was dramatically changed and transformed. God wants to do that in you. You know, Paul said in one of his letters that you might know him and the power of his resurrection. When he wrote to the Galatian church in chapter 4 verse 19, he, he, said, uh, he said, I'm like a mother who is in labor again. And I will stay in that place until Christ is fully formed in you. When Christ is fully formed in us, that's when he can make the alterations. That's when he can delete the stuff that we are so often plagued with. If you've come into the meeting this morning and you don't know what it is to give God control, you don't know what it is to allow him access, you don't know what it is to find him deleting stuff that you hate, it's not something to be frightened of. It's something that the love of God just takes you in his arms and he carries you through that process. If you're in that meeting place today and you, you'd like to surrender your life to him. You'd like to come to know him and the power of his resurrection. Right, right now, right where you're sitting, eyes are closed, heads about. bowed. Why don't you lift your hand right where you're sitting? I'll see it. I'll acknowledge it. You can put it down again. Thank you a lady in the front there someone else you want to join this lady and say i I really want jesus to take control i want i want him to enter the storm the situation the circumstance that i'm in right now If, if that's you i'm not going to embarrass you i'm not going to ask you to come forward i'm just asking you to raise your hand i'll see it you can put it down i'll just know to include you in this prayer You want to join this lady today? Say, yeah, I I really would like to know more about Jesus. We want to give you something to take home, something to would just help you establish your faith and your relationship with the Lord. I don't want to prolong this. We have got time because I've preached early and there's a couple more things to happen in the service. But if that's you, very quickly, raise your hand. I'll see it. I'll acknowledge it. You can put it down again. Thank you. Uh, down the front here as well. It's two people today have just indicated their desire to know Him. Someone else. I, I believe there is more here this morning that, if you just take that step of faith, I, I tell you something. I did it 38 years ago, and I've never looked back. I, you know, it's always been a strange thing for me that people do this thing called backsliding. You know, I've always been a little bit like the disciples. To whom would I go? You alone have the words of eternal life. Sure, I felt abandoned. Sure, I felt lonely. Sure, I felt like God has let me down. Sure, I felt like he's not been there when I've needed him. I felt all of those things. But I've never come to a place where I'm going to walk away because I believe in my heart and I know whom I have believed and I'm fully persuaded that he's able to keep me, sustain me and carry me. Is there someone else? You want to join these two people? Raise your hand right where you are right now. I'll know to pray for you. Father, I thank you for these two people. I thank you, Lord, for their their desire to reach out and connect with you. I pray, Lord, that today would be a turning point. Today would be a Damascus Road experience. Today, Lord, would be one of those encounters that so impacts, so changes their inner world that they would see you and know you and experience you. Lord, in a way that they would taste today and see that you are good. We're all going to pray this prayer together, but the two people who raised their hand, I I want you to just, just pray this right out of your heart. Everyone's going to pray it so you won't be alone, but pray this right out of your heart. Don't just repeat my words, but think about the words I'm about to give you. But let's say this together. Lord Jesus, I come to you this morning. On this resurrection Sunday, and I want to give you control of my life. I want you to come into my heart and begin to make alterations. Turn me into that new creation that you have called me to become. And I ask today, by the power of the cross and the blood that was shed on that cross. You would wash me clean of all my sin and you would delete out of my life all of those things that are not of God and I ask for a clean start in Jesus' name. Father, I pray for these two people today. Lord, that you would journey with them. You would come alongside of them. Lord, your presence would become so real to them. Lord, they would be drawn back to you every day of their life. They would look to you every day of their life. They would, Lord, they would surrender and say, like Mary, be it done to me according to your word. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Let's stand together.